John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30 this morning. If, uh, if you need a Bible, there are some on the table back there, or the text is printed in the next page of the bulletin for you. John 8, 21 through 30. Um, people have always found uh, Christianity difficult to accept for various reasons. One of those reasons, uh, or maybe, maybe excuses, I'm not sure, uh, given is uh, the exclusive truth claims of Christianity. That's always been very difficult for people to accept or to understand. Uh, Jesus frequently and clearly spoke about himself as the only way to have a relationship with God, and that there is no other way apart from faith in him to come to know God. And that's been a major point of contention for centuries, as you can imagine, Uh, not just because non-Christians feel offended by such exclusivity, but because even Christians often feel such claims, such exclusive truth claims, to be a bit too narrow and maybe unfriendly. Uh, Especially in our pluralistic culture today, people wish that we could all just say that well-meaning, decent folks from a variety of religions with all kinds of different beliefs uh, can come to know God in their own ways and be truly spiritual. We wish we could say that. Uh, and to limit, to limit true spirituality only to those who follow Jesus, and in a sense then to be condemning of all others that they are apart from God without Jesus, that's extremely offensive to the sensibilities of many people in our culture, maybe even many people in this room. Uh, this this even came up recently as a um, pretty tense topic at a high level in the American government. I don't know if anybody saw the news on this, um, <clears throat> that uh, a certain senator was part of an interview process for a certain nominee for public office. If this fellow was going to be serving in public office, he had to get he had to run the gauntlet of all the uh, exams, and so. Um, the senator got hung up on this nominee's views about the exclusivity of Christianity. The senator got hung up on that. Uh, The nominee had previously written an article for his alma mater, which is Wheaton College, and um, and it's a Christian school, so he'd written an uh, an article for this Christian school about, and he's addressing the theology of Muslims, saying, and this is a quote from his article, they do not know God, because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. He's speaking of their spiritual standing with regard to their salvation, with regard to their relationship with God, because he believes Jesus, when Jesus says that faith in Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And the senator who was doing the interviewing of this nominee, who had said this, uh, he thought this nominee was unfit for public office. He was very upset about what he thought that views like that meant about his, his views and the way that he would interact with people who are not Christians, people who are not like him, <clears throat> because he had written something so, and this is the senator's language, so hateful and Islamophobic and insulting. So this nominee's Christian views were called hateful, Islamophobic, and insulting uh, because of the exclusivity of, uh, of Jesus Christ in, the, in his views. So he spoke, this senator spoke strongly against the nominee being elected to office. 
It's easy to misunderstand and reject out of hand Christ's exclusive truth claim. When Christ says, I'm the only way to come to know God, it's easy just to have this internal resistance that makes us reject that out of hand. And to interpret such claims, whether you're hearing it from Christ himself or you're hearing it from Christ's people in the church, whether you're hearing those claims uh, there, it's It's easy to interpret those claims as hateful and fearful and antagonistic, but it's none of those things. It's none of those things. That's a misunderstanding. It really is actually a very simple relational reality that accords with the nature of God himself. Um, And even though in one sense Christ is exclusive, you can only come to God through faith in him and there's no other way, to have a real relationship with God. Even though Christ is exclusive, Christ is also globally inclusive and inviting because anyone who puts faith in Christ may come to know God through him. So this morning, we're going to talk about uh, more about this, why that is, why the exclusive truth claims of Christianity are what they are, and what that could look like for you and your friends who need to put faith in Christ for a relationship with God. So uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, it was obvious to those in Christ's time and uh, throughout history and in our time that Christ said some hard things, and if we're going to uh, talk about the things that Jesus said, we're going to be talking about hard things that are difficult for people to accept and understand, and so we need your help, Um, not just with things like logic. We need your help in our hearts, so we pray that you would send your spirit to help us respond well to your word when you speak it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but... He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, Jesus told the story of a rich man. This is something you can find in Luke's gospel, chapter 16. He told the story of a rich man who had ignored, uh, sort of um, over the long run, ignored a poor man in his plight. And the rich man died 
And uh, Jesus says, he went to Hades, which is the place of the wicked. It's, the, it's, it's hell, uh, biblical language for hell, where he was in torment and in anguish. And it says of this rich man, after he had died and he was in hell, he says uh, that he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So he's, uh, at least for the sake of this story, this uh, parable that Jesus was telling, this man who is in hell, this rich man in hell, could somehow see Abraham in heaven far off and called out to him for help. Uh, But because of who the rich man had been and what he had done in life, there was a great gulf, Jesus says, a great gulf permanently fixed between him and heaven so that uh, there really could be no exchange there. No, no one could go from one to the other place. So to, to use Jesus' language from John 8, from our passage this morning, the rich man had died in his sins. And he sought salvation after, but, uh, but couldn't find it. It was too late for him, Jesus says. There is something of urgency in the way Jesus teaches about our salvation, but it was too late for this rich man. And really, if you know the story, uh, he wasn't really seeking salvation. He wasn't really interested in Christ. He wasn't really interested in God or having that relationship. He really was just interested in the relief of the, the pain, the torment, the anguish that he was in. And it's interesting because um, the rich man in Jesus' story, he's a Jew, and he looked to Father Abraham. He looked to Father Abraham for help. He's a Jew. He thought his relationship, his being a descendant of Abraham, his being part of the, the nation, the ethnic nation of, um, of Israel, he thought that that would carry some weight with regard to his salvation. And later in John 8, just uh, we'll look at that the next couple weeks, the Jews make the same appeal. Uh, the Jews who are in conversation and dialogue with Jesus They make the same appeal to their father, Abraham, and Jesus basically tells them very clearly, that's not enough. You being a descendant of Abraham is not enough. So so even the people of Israel, even the people of Israel must believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, if they're to be saved and come into a relationship with God, even though... They're the people God has been working with all these years, and they've heard his voice, and they've kept his law, and they've followed his leading, and uh, to some degree they know God. But even these people that God has specially been working with for centuries, even they must believe in Jesus Christ. They must become explicitly Christ-centered in their faith. They've got to see that Christ is God. He's the, he's the full revelation of God. He's Uh, If you're going to have a relationship with God, this is the one that you've got to know, Jesus Christ, even the Jews. And if that's true of the Jews, it's certainly true of anyone else from any other religion. Jesus came first to the Jews, but his message uh, and his salvation was for the world. And so here here we have Jesus continuing to teach in the temple, something we've looked at, uh, John chapter 7 and 8, are all about his teaching in the temple at the Feast of Booths. And he's in an area of the temple that's limited to Jewish men and women. It's sort of like, hey, we're, we're going to get together and we're going to have sort of a family meeting right? inside the temple here where Gentiles, people who are not Jews, are not allowed. But he's teaching that he's not just for them. 
inside the temple there, the Jewish men and women. He's teaching that he's, he's the light of the world and that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation can know God through him. Therefore, that people who adhere to any religion in the world, whatever their philosophy, whatever their religious beliefs, whatever their faith system, whatever their beliefs are, any religion must convert to believe in him if they want to have a real real relationship with God. So just being a a well-meaning, decent person doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even being a Jew didn't matter. Even being a well-meaning, decent Jew didn't matter, ultimately, apart from faith in Christ. And that is because God is real. That's because God is real, and he has a definite reality. And that reality is revealed in Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. Salvation consists of coming into a relationship with a real God, with a definite God, a God who has a real shape that can't be mistaken for other gods. Salvation consists of coming into a relationship. It's not entering into some nebulous spiritual state or being connected to some ethereal conception of the divine or just being okay spiritually. That's not what salvation is. Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing God relationally. And human relationships provide a pretty good illustration for us at this point. Um, Let's say there's a man named Phil. There's a man named Phil who's a social worker, and he graduated from Portland State, and he has a dog. That's a couple items uh, for your attention there. Phil, social worker, PSU, dog. He's a definite person, and his life has a reality about it, a shape to it, and coming to have a relationship with Phil means coming to know his reality. It means getting to know him as he really is and having him tell you about his time at Portland State and having him tell you about his job as a social worker and having him tell you about his dog. Whether you want to hear about those things or not, that's what having a relationship with Phil means, right? Let's imagine you ask somebody whether she knows Phil. And she says, absolutely, yeah, I know Phil. Of course, I prefer to think of him as a woman named Margaret. And, you know, the idea of her being uneducated and therefore more relatable to the common person is more appealing to me. I do like social workers. That's worthy stuff, so that part's okay about Phil. But she's probably allergic to dogs because, after all, I'm allergic to dogs. And so Margaret would probably be allergic to dogs, like me. What would you say about the reality of her relationship to Phil? You would say she doesn't really have a relationship with Phil. Uh, She doesn't know Phil because Phil is a definite person. And knowing Phil means knowing Phil as he really is. It's a basic relational reality. It's pretty basic, and it's relational, and it's real. In the same way, salvation has to do with a basic relational reality. God is real. God has a definite reality. True things can be said about God, and the insistence of your own preferred ideas about God do not amount to actually having a relationship. Your own ideas 
doesn't, it just doesn't amount to actually knowing the truth about God as he's revealed himself. So basic relational realities like this are of ultimate importance. They're, they're of ultimate. There's hardly anything. They're, they're, I'm going to say there's nothing more important than basic relational realities like this. Because the God who's at the heart of all reality is the God. He's the God who is himself the source of all reality and all being. And he is basically relational. Father and son knowing each other in the Holy Spirit. Knowing and being known. The, the true basic relational reality about God is revealed in Jesus Christ because he is God. And so having a real relationship with God necessarily means coming to know him in Christ through faith in Christ. And if you don't come to God through him, whatever spirituality you think you have just doesn't align with God's reality, what he's revealed about himself. <clears throat> so Jesus says in verse 24, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, it's, I think it's very important, actually, to see what Jesus is saying here literally, because for some reason the translators made it a little bit difficult for us. The original text doesn't have Jesus saying, unless you believe that I am he, that word he is added because it kind of makes for better English generally. But Jesus is saying, actually, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is yet again Jesus referring to himself as God. He's done it a lot of times already in John's gospel. He's claiming to be God. He's applying God's classic, historical, biblical self-designation to himself. I am Nobody else can say it like God can say it. I am, period. And related to that statement is God's personal name, Yahweh. Sort of a, a version of that statement, I am. So, <clears throat> so in verse 25 it says, they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. So God has been revealing himself to us for relationship from the beginning. John uh, opens up his gospel with language like this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So from the beginning of the world, from the beginning of history, from the beginning of the Scriptures, God has been revealing himself to us and he's been speaking to us. He's been, his word has gone forth. He's been speaking to us about his reality. And Jesus is saying he is that speech. He is that revelation. He is that word. He is that reality. And in Exodus 3, at the, the burning bush, when Moses asked about God's identity and his name and who he really is so that he can go and tell the people of Israel God said, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am, has sent me to you, and this is my name forever. 
So that language where God claims to be, where he says, I am, and that's really who I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. That language pops up throughout the Old Testament, including Isaiah 48, which was our Old Testament reading that Katie read. God is. He is who he is. He's the one who is. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be? It means something different than the philosophers say it means. Jesus Christ says it means him. And because that is true, it means God is triune. It means for God to be, when God says, I am, for God to be is for God to be in relationship. Father and Son mutually revealing and knowing and relating. That's the ultimate reality behind all reality. And if you want to be connected to this God who's behind all reality, this God who is in this way of relating, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you must be connected to him through faith in Jesus Christ or else you won't be connected. You won't have a relationship. You won't know him, Jesus says. And that is exactly why Jesus came into the world because God is the kind of God who reveals himself for relationship. He's not withholding information about himself from you. He's not withholding himself from you. Jesus says in verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And that could also be translated real. He who sent me is real. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So Jesus acknowledged that he knows all about the people that he's talking with. He knows all about you. And he could go on all day talking about these people. He could go on all day talking about you and even judging justly and truly. But he would rather talk about the one who sent him. He would rather disclose and reveal his father to the world. That's why he came into the world, to make God known. His primary interest is to be about his father's business, not just to talk about your sins. Jesus wants you to know God. So Leslie Newbigin says, Jesus' one concern is to declare to the world the truth which he knows from the father, and that declaration will be made when he is lifted upon the cross. Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, Then you will know that I am he, or again, it's, then you will know that I am. When you've lifted up, when you've put me on the cross, then you'll know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus said, when I have allowed you, because that's what it will be, when I have allowed you, to crucify me and kill me, then you will know that I am who I am. You'll know what kind of God you're dealing with. You'll know what God is really like. God is not the monolithic one. He's not the supreme monadic self, not sheer aseity, not sheer being the way that you've understood it. After I submit myself to my Father, 
to the point of death on a cross, then you'll know what divinity truly is, that I am other-oriented. That's what it means to be me. That's what it means when I say I am. I'm other-oriented. My vision is filled with my Father. I only speak what my Father has taught me. I only do what is pleasing to him. My life, and that means God's life, is not about myself. It's about other. Because that's what happens when your God is three persons in one being. And once I've given my life to you and poured out my life for you, you'll know that this is what it means to be God, that the true God is the God whose being is complete self-gift. The God whose being is love. Then you will know the God who makes himself known. And that is what salvation really is. It's being saved from ourselves. It's being saved from our self-centered selves and being taken up into God's life, into true relationship, into true love in the one who is love. Uh, Julian of Norwich was a 14th century English mystic, and she um, is famous for saying, when I saw the cross, I saw the Trinity. When I saw the cross, I saw the Trinity. If you don't look to the cross, if you don't put your faith in Christ, if you don't believe him when he says, I am, and this is what it means to be God, that he reveals God to you for a relationship, for your salvation, <clears throat> then as he says, he's the one who says it, you'll die in your sins. Because where he is going, back to God his Father, where he's going, we can't go. You can't go there unless you go with him. Jesus went back to God, taking our restored humanity with him after his death and his resurrection, but you can't get there unless you go with him. Unless you go in him through faith, by being connected to Jesus through his spirit as you believe in him. Jesus is with the Father. He has the Father's love. Jesus will never be separated from the Father because of who Jesus is. And because he always lives in perfect relationship to his Father and that's what he offers to you. Even though what you deserve is to never be with the Father he took that penalty at the cross and he entered into glory, into a relationship with the Father on our behalf to give that to us as a free gift. That's what he offers to you. He, he, he shares freely with you as a gift of his grace, his relationship with the Father, that perfect withness. It's divine. And he shares it with you as a gift of his grace. And you can only be with the Father, and you can only have the Father's love because of Jesus Christ. And that's exclusive, because Christ is the only way. But it's also inclusive and inviting, because Christ came to disclose this relationship to the whole world, including you and your friends, whoever turns to him for salvation. God is the kind of God. This is what we see in Jesus. This is his real, definite shape, his, his reality. God is the kind of God who gives away his life in order to open himself up to you, to bring you into real relationship 
with himself, where he's in you and you're in him. This, uh, this is not hateful. This is not fearful. This is not antagonistic. All those things that um, when we make exclusive truth claims, these are the labels that get thrown at us. It's not hate- hateful. It's not fearful. It's not antagonistic. In fact, it's just plain good news that strips away all of our, our reasons for boasting. It strips away all of our reasons for disdaining other people or for hostility toward others. The basic reality, the ultimate basic reality, is a relational reality. It's the life of the one true God, and Jesus Christ has opened up the way for you to enter in. So believe in him, go to him, draw near to him, and you will come to know God through him for eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this sounds too good to be true, that you would make yourself known to us for a relationship even with people like us, that you would send your son into the world and, and give him over to people like us, that it would be his will to do your will and suffer and die on our behalf so that we would be spared your wrath, so that we would receive your forgiveness and your love and your grace and mercy and your acceptance. This seems too good to be true, but it isn't. And you've given us even the right to claim this truth because of your grace, because you did give your son for that very purpose, to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Just as you are with your son, Jesus, forever, you will be with us forever. And we can take that to the bank, so to say. So we're, we're grateful for who you are, that you're the God who's behind all things, and we're grateful that you've revealed yourself to us so that we can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We do pray in his name. Amen.